Circus of the Stars won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X-Files. Welcome to The Gen X-Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Mad Mad Monster Monster Party. (laughs) Yeah, it's a question. I don't know. Is it a Mad Monster Party? You have to do it through the entire show. When you mention Mad Monster Party... You're going to have to hit that question mark, baby. Mad Monster Party? Yeah, that's it. Excellent. Uh, This was originally supposed to be our show last week, but we were at the mercy of the library, or some of you say library, and uh, we had to wait for the the disc, the actual DVD, not even a Blu-ray, to come in. They've never released this on Blu-ray. Oh, man. It, they should. It was the, I, honestly the DVD was really good quality. <laughs> it was. It was the funniest thing was watching these fifteen-year-old uh, trailers for these bizarre animated <laughs> movies that I've never <laughs> so heard of. Weird. They all look like some really bad animated video game. They made a happily never after two. Yeah. Did you know that? I did not. I did. I knew <laughs> about happily never after one. I've heard of it because it was like running on stars when we used to have cable over and over. Oh yeah, again. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they sh- it didn't deserve a sequel, unfortunately. I'm just saying. No, no. Controversial. Uh, That's why I was shocked that there was at all. <laughs> started to bring up some controversy, but I, I... Of all the movies to get a sequel. I, what a, I, for kids, man, it made money, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but, so, we... Uh, it was worth the wait. Because, yeah. oh, yeah. baby, this movie is so much fun. <laughs> Take yourself back to 1967. January 14th, the human being, being, takes place in Golden Gate Park, San Francisco. The event sits the stage for the summer of love. Yeah, baby, just be. The human being. Yeah, it was. You're just being a human. That was the beginning of the progressives, baby. Oh, yeah. You know, people wanted to do, hey, baby, make love, not war. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? I don't think. No, no, not at all. In uh, February, the CBS Children's Film Festival began airing, hosted by Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, puppeteered by Burr Tilstrom, the famous puppets from the 50s. Did you ever watch Kukla, Fran, and Ollie? No. No, I did not. I did. One, I, th- I don't know. <laughs> I think Kukla was a snake. Oh, yeah? Because one of them was a snake. And okay. And then I think Fran was a little was a girl lady. or something. Yeah. And then Ollie. I don't remember. I just remember Kukla Fran and Kukla Fran and Ollie. Yeah, they yeah. They were all over the place. I, they were huge. Kids. I mean, they were huge. Puppets were big, baby. Oh, From yeah. like 60 oh, yeah. to 80. Yeah. Puppets oh, were yeah. king. Well, and yeah, I mean, earlier than that. they were they, Their show was in the 50s. They, they just hosted this thing because... Everybody knew who they were, mm-hmm. and and it was like, well, you don't have a show anymore, so you're going to come host for us. Yeah. Yeah, uh, puppets, man. Uh, March 7th, Sandy Shaw releases the number one UK hit, Puppet on a String, which would end up winning the Eurovision Song Contest that year. Ooh. It is largely ignored in the U.S. until being featured in 2021's Last Night in Soho. Sing us a few bars. Uh, no. Oh. It is one of the worst things I've ever heard. Really? <laughs> it is not good at all. Aww, how, it, how it won Eurovision is beyond me. It's just very... It's very tinkly and very it's just not my thing at all i saw last night's host so i probably heard it you probably did yeah i would have sung it if i knew what it was it's you're, you're robbing not, our audience no no trust me i'm not <laughs> they're thanking us right now uh march 8th mad monster party is released into theaters mad monster party gas Oh my god from the Shriek. very beginning and the fact that they throw the like comic book Bam, pow, shriek, eek on the screen is immediately, it's like, okay, I love this. From the first bar of the opening tune, you know you're in for a good time. Eek! 
Yeah. It's just crazy. Uh, Mad Monster Party starts with Videocraft International, which would later become Rankin Bass Productions. They own stop motion. Yes, they were masters of the stop motion. Uh, Arthur Rankin Jr. was born in New York City, the son of actors Arthur Rankin and Marion Mansfield. His paternal grandmother was actress Phyllis Rankin, and his paternal step-grandfather, who adopted his father, was actor Harry Davenport, who played Dr. Maid in the film Gone with the Wind. What did his, what did his mom do? Uh, not a lot of anything no, of note. But uh-huh. she was a working actor. Is, is that time when, yeah. you know, you could be in a movie a week and still nobody would know your name? Contract plays. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rankin began his career as an art director for the American Broadcasting Company in the 1940s. ABC, baby. That's ABC. Owned by Disney now. Yeah. That's... (laughs) Now we've plugged our masters. uh... Well, I just... It was a fact. (laughs) I know. It was a neutral fact. It's funny. Uh... So Jules Bass was born in Philadelphia and was educated at New York University. His He first started working at an advertising agency in New York. Of course he did. By the way, he's got an awesome name, Jules Bass. Yeah, yeah. Well, both cool. of them. I mean, the fact that it's Rankin Bass, like, it's just so, it just rolls off the tongue. I'll tell you this, though. If I were Jules Bass, I'd be Jules Bass. I, I don't know. I like Bass. I think it's... Bass, baby. No, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in 1960, Rankin and Bass founded Videocraft International with the intention to produce television commercials. One of the first uh, projects they were offered was an independently produced television series in 1960, The New Adventures of Pinocchio, based on the Italian author Carlo Collodi's 1883 novel, The Adventures of Pinocchio. Oh, Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Yeah, that's actually, I don't know. <laughs> I don't speak Italian, so... I think so... the two C's is the Ch. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think had it... a friend whose last name was uh, Cecco Mancini, but it was oh, actually yeah. Ciccio Mancini. Ciccio Mancini. Yeah. That actually uh, makes sense, and I think that we've always just said it wrong. Uh, Pinocchio. Eh, eh, we can watch that. Um, who's that insufferable actor who climbed on all the seats in the Oscars? Bern- uh, not Bernard. Uh, Bertolucci. No. Not Bertolucci. That's, not that's an Bertolucci. amazing director. Uh, oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I can't think of his name. Too much energy. Well, he did a Pinocchio movie. A Pinocchio. Yeah, but I, I want to say that I, we can blame the mis pronunciation on disney yeah well full circle now, now we're uh, slamming our masters uh it was the first special to feature animagic a stop motion animation process using figurines or puppets a lot of brain power went into that word uh-huh. they coined it and it worked man uh, this is magical animation what should we call it i don't wait a minute Rankin. stop motion no, no stop no. motion magic no <laughs> magic mo how about any magic? Yeah. It, it, I, you know, it's marketing. They're marketing guys. I don't know why I'm being so <laughs> crappy. I love this movie so much. I know, I know. Uh, a process pioneered by George Powell's Puppetoons and uh, Anna Magic was a process pioneered by George Powell's Puppetoons and Art Clokey's Gumby and Davy and Goliath. It's just stop motion. Uh, hey, Davy. Yeah. Um, it's it's. It, that's what was popular. George Powell was really big in, in stop motion, but Animagic was coined by Rankin and Bass. And much better. Uh, uh, yes. Gumby's great. I loved Gumby and Pokey when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, and Goliath scared the crap out of me. It's weird. It is. It's There's a gr- Moral Oral. Did you, you watch Oh, it? yeah. There's oh, a yeah. great parody series called Moral Oral. <laughs> on, on, highly, on, highly recommend. On, uh, Adult Swim. It's if, all claymation. You, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's if you've ever seen Davy and Goliath. <sighs> hey, 
Goliath, what's going on? What, what do you think Jesus will say about this? I don't know, Davey. It sounds like a sin to me. But this stuff was all uh, claymation for the most part. Uh, George Powell did some some puppet stuff, but Rankin and Bass was almost entirely just dolls. Like, they did not use claymation. Right. For the most part. I think there was a couple things they did. But for the most part, it was just them creating these, like, 4- to 12-inch dolls and then using them to, you know, with, with skeletons, essentially, then animating them. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's basically... What a lot of the stop yeah. motion people do now is they, yeah. you know, I think yeah. Tim Burton actually creates. He does. They, I don't think it's yeah. animation with him. I, think uh, he creates I actual, don't. I think you're right. I don't think it is either. Um, yeah. There's, it's some kind of resin or something. Or, but like the or, Wallace and Gromit yeah. guy, that's yeah. like a yeah. claymation. Yeah, kind of so full on claymation. Yeah. Rankin and Bass adapted the Pinocchio Pinocchio story and shared directing credits. Uh, Jules Bass was meticulous in how he wanted the, that, the special to look and feel, but they could not do the bulk of the stop-motion animation themselves, so they turned to Tadehito Mochinaga, a Japanese animator and pioneer in stop-motion animation. And a crazy interesting cat, man. This guy has a yes. story. Uh, hi, a lot of it not his own <laughs> will, but... Uh, but fascinating. But I mean, fascinating. Fascinating yeah. what he went through. I mean, go ahead. Tadahito Mochinaga began his animation career in the middle of World War II Japan. During this time, he was the assistant to Seo Mitsuyu on Momotaro's Sea Eagles, an animated propaganda film depicting the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Mochinaga was officially in charge of backgrounds and visual effects. Most Japanese children at this time were taken on official school trips to watch the film. It was just pure propaganda. Oh, yeah. 100%. Well, it's World War II. Yeah. We were doing the same thing. Yeah, no, in no reverse. Totally. totally. Uh, Mochinaga was not particularly happy about this. He wrote in his memoirs, I heard that many youths volunteered for the Flying Corps and that while they were on duty, they died on air raids. I wonder whether the film we made influenced their decision to volunteer. I thought in the future, I only wish to make a film that would benefit the young. Difficult as that might be. Yeah. Yeah, he was not happy with the fact that it was essentially driving up people to fly planes yeah, and well, die. good, because yeah. then it would be really hard to love this movie thinking that a propagandist yes. who, who you know it's it's interesting because that sentiment goes through a few of the other creative uh, creative types on mad monster oh, party yeah, yeah. shortly <laughs> after the release of momotaro's sea eagles mochinaga was put in charge of fukuchan's submarine despite his own protests that he was too inexperienced Due to the fact that much of his staff was drafted to the military and lack of supplies and funds, Fukuchan's submarine was barely finished and released in 1944. So he wasn't assigned to an actual submarine. No, it was the film. It was okay. called Submarine. It was, make... It's essentially another propaganda film. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just, again, to drive up, I'm sure, to drive up people to, to be recruited into sure. the Japanese Navy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I get, he did not want to do. I mean, he didn't want to have people die. You I, don't really have a choice. No, in, at this point, he did Japan, not. No, not in that time. Exhausted, Mochinaga returned home after finishing the film to find it destroyed in a bombing raid. Jesus, can you imagine? Can you yeah. imagine like coming back from location and the uh, the whole apartment building's raised? Yeah, just gone. Yeah. Just like, oh, great. Well. Fearing the American occupation, Mochinaga and his family fled to Manchuria, the Japanese-controlled Chinese peninsula, only to have it then occupied by the Soviets. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, out of the frying pan into the fire, I guess. Uh, he worked on propaganda films for the Soviets until 1954 when he was able to return to Japan. Poor bastard, man. He was a propagandist. Literally for like 12 years. All he did <sighs> was make propaganda movies. A long time. For one government or another. <laughs> What a horrible sucks. existence. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, look, it could be a lot worse, but you're you're making stuff that you don't agree with at all. Yeah. I mean, I would be tough. I would have a hard time with that, yeah. I mean, at least with the Soviet stuff, 
it probably wasn't, you know, getting them to be kamikaze pilots. Or no, 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 no. I'm sure it was more just how great we are. Look how sure. great we are. Uh, I saw a lot of that when I was in you. Russia. Baby. Oh yeah, yeah. They love to say how great they are. <laughs> they did invent the leg extenders. You know. Oh yeah. When I, I'm just gonna this is a quick, quick sure. speed bump. When I was I was in communist Russia. Mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned this before on the show. And one of the things that they they would take us around and pour vodka down our throats and tout these great Soviet achievements. And one of them was that they found a way to extend a dude's legs like three inches, make him like three inches. They they cured shortness. But <laughs> all they did was bust his tibias, Ugh. put in Ugh. extenders on his tibias. So he just looked odd because his legs were too long for his little body. And they were like, see? So, yeah. So they cured shortness. Nice. Apparently. Right. Um, didn't take on. In the world, no, really, here because this was a few decades ago. Still waiting for that yeah, big Russian shortness leg extenders. Leg extenders, good <laughs> lord, they're super proud. Wow, uh, okay, and that's the kind of crap he was probably making propaganda. He's like, yeah, how oh, do yeah. I spin this? How yeah. do I spin these creepy leg extenders you- to be some sort of miraculous? <laughs> Are you tired of being short? <laughs> <laughs> it's like with everything going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Rankin and Bass would detail everything they wanted for the work before saying, sending it over to Mochinaga. Mad Monster Party was the last <laughs> film that Mochinaga animated for Rankin and Bass. Oh, um, yeah. He worked on their first like four or five uh, specials and, and features they did. He's a genius, man. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah. The way that they did Mad Monster Party, yeah, they didn't do it like any other stuff. We'll get to that, but yeah, what they did was incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. Rankin and Bass would hit it big with their tel- TV special, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which I'm sure everyone has seen. Rudolph the Red-Nosed it's Reindeer. played constantly. She thinks I'm cute! <laughs> she thinks I'm cute! With Burl Ives playing Sam the Snowman and with an original orchestral score from Johnny Marks, who wrote the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in 1949, the yeah. TV special became the longest-running Christmas special in TV history. Yeah, it's everywhere all the time. Everybody knows yeah, it. It's, it ever, it's airs like 50,000 times during Christmas. Yeah, because it's awesome. Uh, people were obsessed with Animagic. Well, look, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer could have been so dumb. Yeah. But it's, you You got the little dentist guy, you know, who wants to be a, an elf that wants to be a dentist, which yeah. is like a great allegory for every sort of <laughs> outcast person in the world. Yeah. They go to the Alien of Misfit Toys, you know, yeah. everybody who feels like an outsider completely... You know, you, you identify with that? Yes. Yukon Jack? You got the imbobitable snowman? Yeah. You got everything, yeah. baby. It's it is an easy way to identify. You just everybody's an outcast, so everyone identifies. It does not matter. Um you identify with it. Period. Yeah. And you know what, Adam? Yeah. Bumbles bounce. <laughs> they, yes. <laughs> In 1965, they released a theatrical and a magic movie called Willie McBean and His Magic Machine. Yeah, there's a porn version of that. <laughs> I am sure there probably is. I uh, actually saw Willie McBean. I have not seen this yet. It actually is uh, on YouTube in its entirety, so you can totally check it out. It sounds very weird. Oh, would yeah. definitely fit into this month. Uh, it tells the story of Willie McBean, a young schoolboy who teams up with an anthropomorphic Spanish-English monkey named Pablo to prevent the villainous professor Rasputin Van Rotten from changing the history of the world using the newly created and duplicated magic time machine via blueprints that Pablo stole from Van Rotten. Yeah, it's a story as old as time. <laughs> it sounds like something that you just pitched. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> hey, Hollywood. Um, I 
vaguely remember this. I don't have the I, same memory as I do with Ma- and it Mad is Monster Party. So bizarre. We'll have to. Well, it when literally we do, opens. I watched the first like five minutes. Yeah. It literally opens with a talking monkey breaking into his bedroom, going, "You have to make this time machine." Okay. A, a round two of weird movies were popping that baby in and there. it's literally it's it's the original bill and ted's because they literally jump around and like try to fix everything that vad rotten does nice so like it goes through all these different time periods and like it's so you're saying alex winter has ripped it off he's, I, a, he's a thief would not re- it was heavily influenced by willie mcbean and his <laughs> magic machine <laughs> oh great title oh too. so fantastic in 1966, they released The Daydreamer in theaters. It was another Animagic movie. This film was based on the tales of Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, it featured voice acting from Paul O'Keefe, Jack Guilford, Ray Bolger, and Margaret Hamilton, uh, both of them from The Wizard of Oz, yeah. as well as Burl Ives, Tallulah Bankhead, Patty Duke, Haley Mills, and Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff. Yeah. I'm back. Doing another... Um, on a magic <laughs> it's really funny because they didn't they only list the f- first four and all, i had to search so hard to find the other cast and yeah. i was like they're so much bigger <laughs> than well, everybody you know, else just it's crazy i think what we're kind of realizing doing this show is there is a lot of like forgotten history of some really great stuff yeah and yeah. we're doing the lord's work baby we're bringing all this <laughs> stuff back from the dead and we're, you know, giving you a reason to watch it. And especially this. Like, this whole month has been about really obscure, hard-to-find, yeah. fun, different movies. Yeah. And if you love the Universal mo- Monster movies and oh, puns yeah. yes. oh, and oh my God. silliness, you're going to love this movie. <laughs> dad jokes. So oh, many dad it is, jokes. Yeah. <laughs> it is dad joke central, baby. Uh, this, this uh, The Daydreamer was the first picture to be distributed by Joseph E. Levine at NBC Entertainment, which would later release Mad Monster Party. Horror movies with recognizable monsters were making a resurgence uh, in 1957. In two weeks, American International Pictures put out I Was a Teenage Werewolf, and Hammer Films put out The Curse of Frankenstein. Before that, the yeah. Universal movies were extremely popular in the 30s, right? 30s, 30s yeah. 30s, 40s. early 40s. They had a good run in the 40s, too, with, like, Abbott Costello meets Frankenstein. and it, Yeah, yeah. There was a, a, a big... Uh, you know, there was a there was a big interest in monster movies mm-hmm. back then. For whatever reason, probably uh atomic bomb. World War One. Exactly. Or World War Two, <laughs> even sorry. <laughs> World War Two. Um Kind of like people were afraid of other stuff. Yeah, it it well, and it's it's funny because this similarly happened mm-hmm. with Mad Monster Party, Mad Monster Party, Thank and you. and uh, and the time that it came out, and we'll talk more about that. But like, it was very similar with the Vietnam War, and like the horror stuff. Kind of, it's not that it stopped; it just changed right. drastically. Most of the stuff post World War Two, especially in the fifties, were very atomic based. Yes. Oh, there was an atomic bomb, and now there's yes. giant ants. Oh, there's an atomic bomb, and now there's yeah. giant rabbits. Oh, there's all atomic bomb. Now, between 1948 and 1957 was all just giant monsters mm-hmm. that that or, came from the deep, or, or brains that or came to life, outer space stuff. Like you know, I mean, things things that weren't that were so far fantasy yeah. that like it was not something that you could you know. It wasn't. It wasn't something that was probably going to happen. And there was also no respect for these films. These were no, all no. Uh, independent companies like AIP, American International Pictures, and and other yeah. So they were like the redheaded stepchild of the film industry, mostly you know regulated to drive-ins and discount. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, and and that was hugely popular. That was the thing. Yeah. So in 1957, after they released these two movies, they they made so much money that. 
all these studios realized, oh, they were cheap. They could make money. So everyone started making these movies. In October of 1957, Screen Gems, a new company at the time, had purchased 52 universal horror movies, and they were screened everywhere, usually on newly minted TV shows uh, because they needed content. Oh, yeah. And, uh, feature, baby. and they were hosted by, always hosted by weirdos in costumes. Oh, yeah. oh man. And that ran up into the 70s and 80s. There oh, yeah, was, definitely. Know, that and cartoon shows. There was, like, yeah. the guy that hosted the Popeye stuff who, you know, yeah. hosted yeah. a ton of crap. But yeah. uh, I think what was brilliant about it was the way that they, they shuffled it in was by using the teens. Yeah. I was a teenage yeah. werewolf. I was yeah. a teenage Frankenstein. T- hitting that audience. Hitting the kids, baby. <laughs> hitting them as hard as you can. Oh, and just like... Uh, you know, anything that the kids like, all of a sudden it was bad for them and it had of to be course. stopped. Of course. Oh, this, this is immoral. Yeah. It's immoral yeah. what they're doing to our children. In 1958, Forrest J. Ackerman started the magazine Famous Monsters of Filmland, which was the only thing writing about horror movies. So it was huge. Oh, yeah. Absolutely huge. Brilliant. Uh, Forrest J. Ackerman was also all about puns and, and bad dad jokes. Uh, he was a nerd. <laughs> he was <laughs> well, a very big nerd. Well, uh, most horror movie aficionados. Look, I'm one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We are weird. No, and, no. I, I agreed. That's why I, we like horror movies. Yeah, yeah. We're There's damaged. <laughs> something about you that you need to be scared. There's definitely, yes. Uh, as it, it turned into the 60s and as they rolled on, horror got even bigger because they everyone realized they could make money from it. So they started making cheap and expensive masks, yep. all those rubber masks that yep. always smelled funny. Yeah. And you had, uh, the, the emergence of Roger Corman at that time. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It was a lot of in the early sixties realizing that you could make so much money off these movies by yeah. spending 10 grand. And if you want to see a really fun movie about a guy trying to make a horror movie, watch Ed Wood. Oh yeah. Ed because was phenomenal. He was the greatest worst filmmaker ever. Oh my god. And honestly, his movies are so bad. Like you you watch them, they're just horrible. I like, I watched Plan Nine from Outer Space and I tried to show it to somebody yeah. and literally like twenty minutes into it I was like, I can't do this. It's unwatchable. I can't do this anymore. Uh but the movie just shows how plucky and what <laughs> you just loved. It's like, one of Johnny Depp's best performances. One of my favorites, yeah. And he he is just so unabashedly positive all the time. Yeah. No matter what happens, everything goes wrong. No, it's great. We'll figure it out. Oh, we'll figure it out. It's all fine. It's yes. so good. Yeah. And and uh, one of the very first uh, people to become a, uh, come out as trans. Yeah. Like he, he did Glenn or Glenda and uh, was, I'm going to play both parts. Yeah. And, and he very much... Paid for that. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the guy had a lot of balls. I mean, yeah. he had a lot of guts to do what he did. Uh, also, Martin Lando, I think, won an Oscar for. He did. For he did. You yeah. know what? Can I? Quick, quick, quick. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the Ralph's down at the corner. Mm-hmm. For a long period of time after that movie came out, I would run into Martin Lando there. Oh, really? We had this weird. We didn't. We didn't speak. <laughs> we had this weird thing where he would see me. And I would see him. Yeah. We'd recognize each other. He'd wink. I'd wink. And that was our relationship for like five nice. years. It was wow. the best. And he would like, he'd totally recognize me. Yeah. He'd be like, oh. But that was the thing we had. We, I never approached him. 
I think yeah. at the at some point it just got to be this thing that we had. Yeah. That was just magical. That's funny. That I've never had with you know, it was yeah. just so cool. And I don't think I've ever told anybody about this. That's funny. But I had such a cool winking relationship with Martin Lando. So <laughs> so I love this town so much. That was, shortly after I moved to LA, the same thing happened with me over like five or six years with Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> nice. It was so bizarre. I would literally be places and she would just walk in and then she'd look at me like I was the one following her and I was just like, No, I was here first. Yeah. I think she had a little something for you. Nah, well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they also came up with like model kits, like you could make uh, your Universal monsters. You'd paint oh, them, yeah. hand paint them, and stuff. They were I had huge. those. I had the yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah. I had the Dracula. And the Frankenstein, you got the one with the head and the hands glow in the dark. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, they also had a lot of horror themed music that became very popular. Uh, a lot of weird. You know, the Monster Mash and all this stuff. It was the Mash. It is the Monster Mash. Uh, in 1964, the Munsters and the Adams Family were very popular, which was a spin on the nuclear family. And <laughs> which, uh, That's why I had yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> Got that. Uh, which is the irony is that this is now a th- becoming a thing again with yeah. the remake of the Munsters coming out. And, Adams Family, uh, Wednesday, the Adams Family project. The timing was perfect for Mad Monster Party to poke fun at an oversaturated market. In order to keep expenses down, the film's producers did not want to pay royalty fees for the use of the names King Kong, the Frankenstein Monster, the Bride of Frankenstein, Quasimodo, and the Creature from the Black Lagoon. No, but they did use... They did use Frankenstein. uh, They did. Victor von... Is it... Uh, Baron von Frankenstein. Baron von... Victor von Frankenstein, right? Uh, No, not Victor. It's uh, Boris. Boris Boris von... I believe so, yeah. I thought it was... Baron Boris von Frankenstein. In the book? No, oh no, sorry. Are you talking about the book? I was talking about Mad Monster Party. Oh! <laughs> uh, in the book, it's Victor Frankenstein. I don't think it's Vaughn anything. I think it's Victor Frankenstein. I had a weird rev- revelation uh, thinking about all of this, and I started thinking about Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. yeah. And how he was Frederick Frankenstein. Frederick Frankenstein? <laughs> so he's basically Fred Frankenstein. <laughs> and it just made me laugh so hard. He's like, hey, hey, look, I'm Fred Frankenstein. What do you want from me? <laughs> Uh, since they didn't, they couldn't use these. Most of these uh, were copywritten uh, through Universal, so they couldn't use the names. So they end up using recognizable faces, sure. but just change the names yeah. uh, to something like King Kong is it, uh, the Frankenstein monster is Fang, the Bride of Frankenstein is simply the monster's mate. Quasimodo is called the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and the Creature of the Black Lagoon is just called simply the Creature. Yeah. And they uh, look a little bit – I mean, Quasi looks like Quasi. He definitely does more from the book yeah. than, than in the movie. And the Creature from the Black Lagoon is not like anything – like, he's purple in this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, they, they, long, they, spindly legs. <laughs> they look cool. They look great. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, but it's it's definitely not the same look. But exactly the same feel. Yes, yeah. yes. So it's like 100%. you're not missing a beat. No, 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 totally. Uh, the names Count Dracula, Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde, and the Invisible Man were in the public domain at the time of the film's production, and thus no royalty fees were required for the use, so they used them in the film. Excellent. <laughs> uh, Harvey Kurtzman was tapped to write the script from a story by Rankin and Bass. Kurtzman cut his teeth working for EC Comics and then created Mad Magazine in 1952. I will love him forever for yes. that. That was my Bible growing up. Harvey Bible. Kurtzman was fascinating. Well, he and <laughs> William Gaines pretty much yeah, created Gaines, Mad. Yeah, Gaines was the money man. Like he, he started EC Comics. Yeah, yeah. Well, his father started EC Comics. Right. It and was, then he started doing yeah. horror comics and horror comedy comics. Yes. Uh, yeah, and Kurtzman absolutely 
hated horror comics. I know, weird. Hated him with a passion. He he thought that those stories uh, had the same sort of influence on children that the chauvinism of war comics had, which he had worked hard against during World War II. He was anti-propaganda. <laughs> he was like, I'm not creating this crap for you because I don't want children to go off and die. We talked about there was this huge backlash against horror comics. Oh, yeah. Oh, comic yeah. books in general. That's why we had the, of the Com- devil. Comics Code Authority. That is, you couldn't release a comic without mm-hmm. having that little stamp on there because, oh, you're going to corrupt the youth. This puritanical fear has been guiding us since yeah. the beginning, and it hasn't stopped. Part of the reason was that Kurtzman, he was very meticulous, much like Rankin and Bass. He was very meticulous about his work, and he did not produce as much as the guys doing the Horner comics did. Right. They would just slapdash the stuff off, and he hated it yeah. because it was like, I this is art to me, and I need to make this correctly. Have you seen some of the early Mad Magazines? Like the, A little bit, yeah. They are so incredible. It's almost got like a... Of fabulous Fury Freak Brothers feel to yeah, it. It's yeah. got that R. Crumb kind of like yeah, weird yeah, yeah. Uh, drawing style, and it's like it's so odd and so <laughs> it's subversive. Very, very yeah, and yeah. if you get a chance, you know I, you could probably get it online or yeah, whatever. But check out the early, early Mad magazines. They used to. I'm a huge Mad collector, mm-hmm. and I have tons of magazines still. And they used to have these super special bonus. You know, yeah, yeah. things that they would sell. And a lot of times in the early ones, they would include original oh, ma- original nice. Mad Comics nice. re- reproduced, yeah, yeah. you know, like a little fold-in thing that you could pull nice, out. Nice, I think I still have some. I'll give them to you. But, uh, yeah, it was just like – it was just night and day. Yeah, I was so yeah, surprised. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, it, Mad Comics eventually just became kind of parodying, like, media and stuff. But back in the day, it was it – was, it was <laughs> – it was very subversive. Up until look, I subs- I subscribed to Mad Magazine well into my thirties. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, the seventies and the eighties, I think, were the heyday. It's only because that's when I was reading. But they would yeah. they would not just like parody movies, but they yeah. would you know release like parodies of the Constitution. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, they yeah. would come up. With I mean, these it wasn't great, just yeah, yeah. It was just a subversive magazine that nothing was sacred. They poked fun at everything. Yeah. And that's why parents got so mad. I, oh, yeah. There was yeah. one point I was reading Mad Magazine. I was like seven or eight. And there was like some VD joke that my mom popped, looked at right when I was reading it. She's like, <laughs> right, schnoop, and snatched it out. And I was like, no Mad Magazine for you. It lasted about three months. But uh, yeah, yeah. I couldn't live without it. Yeah. Couldn't. Well, it was uh, Kurtzman. I, I think that he was only with Mad Magazine until like 1964 or something. Yeah. Like he he eventually left to go do other things. It w- he wasn't a perfect fit for that. It was no. great that he did help create it. It was necessary for him to to get it to where it needed to be. Yeah. But yeah. But he was he was just apparently he was just a very particular person. Um, persnickety. Yeah. Very. Thank you. Persnickety is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Uh, Jack Davis actually suggested Kurtzman for the job to write uh, Mad Monster Party, uh, having worked with him on EC Comics and Mad Magazine back in the day. Uh, Jack Davis designed the character looks in Mad Monster Party. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, if you're a Mad fan, yeah. and especially a Jack Davis fan, who yeah. did a majority of like the parody, mm-hmm. you know, he was so great at creating the celebrities and yeah his his art had very his caricatures had mm-hmm. very very distinctive looks oh, and, yeah. and it translated so well for mad monster 100 yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were rumors that Forrest J. Ackerman actually had a hand in the script since so many puns are similar to those seen in his articles in Famous Monsters of Filmland, but it's never been proven. Mm. And and our uh, Goldschmidt, the Rick Goldschmidt, the Rankin and Bass historian, yes. who sounds exactly like Colin the, Anderson, Colin Anderson, the energy vampire from the What We Do in the Shadows. Vampire? So if you're talking about Rankin and Bass, <laughs> God, which I so... want to do. I had to actually uh, stop watching because it was so, so like, dead on. Oh, uh, these fellas, they had he, a long career. Rick came out and said specifically that Forrest Jackman had nothing to do with it. Yeah, so well, he would know. I Yes, I mean, I, yes. He I has given his entire life to, to researching and, and giving us the facts of Rankin and Bass. Yeah. That's why he's talking like this? That's why you slowly <laughs> die as he tells these stories. Yeah, on the inside. Uh, so cast, uh, they cast Boris Karloff as Baron Boris von Frankenstein. I am going to retire, I believe. Uh, it's funny because I I went into this thinking that Boris Karloff had Karloff had kind of been forgotten. No, absolutely not. That man worked so much for his entire career. He was so popular. He would show yeah. up on I Love Lucy. He would show up on Just every television show, everything. playing himself or playing. He was a likable. Lovable guy. He was like the opposite of Bella Lugosi. Yeah. Unfortunately, drug problems, very unhappy man. Yeah. Kind of disappeared into his bungalow and lived there until he was found by our good friend. Uh, uh, to bring it all back around. Yeah. Found by Ed Wood and exactly. was in Plan 9 from Outer Space and died during the filming. Yes, because he was a, a, a... But it... He was a heroin addict. But he was... Ha- yes. You know, it was nice for him to be back and doing it. And I think, it, it, you know, I think him... Participating in that, uh, yes, totally, probably totally. W- led to a good ending for him rather than yes. just being alone. And but it anyway, was, it was a nice cherry on top of his kind of sad Sunday. But Karloff, Karloff, I don't believe he had any not drugs or alcohol nope. problems or anything. He was just, just really loved to work. Yeah, and people I mean, loved working with him yeah. too. Yeah, he was a great guy. He was a good dude, and he was so much more than just the monster. Yes, yes, he was. Although he did parlay that a lot, he would he would always be playing Frankenstein or the Doctor or whatever. He's one of those guys too that. Didn't run from what made him famous. Didn't no. anger him and, and, and make him uh, resentful because he was drunk and charged yeah. monster. Yeah. He was overjoyed with it, you yeah. know? I'm thinking of, like, all yeah. of the toys. and I mean, everybody's got a Frankenstein mask or a Frankenstein yeah. toy or a Frankenstein something. He was so good. He was just so good. Uh, he had a resurgence of sorts playing the Grinch and how the Grinch stole Christmas. Oh, yeah. Which is, which became, he became much more well-known to the younger audiences because of how the Grinch stole Christmas. Uh, Perfect. You're the mean one, Mr. Grinch. He was so fantastic. Um, but he worked constantly. He was in a bunch of these beach party movies. Uh, with Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. Odd. Um, well, they they had a tendency to cast... Like, Buster Keaton was in a couple of them, too. Yeah. Like, they had a tendency to cast, like, older stars. It was stunt casting. Yeah, oh, yeah. 100%. Um, it, was to, it was to get the kids to bring their folks to the Exactly, movie. exactly. Uh, Mad Monster Party was one of the last three films released uh, that starring Boris Karloff before he died, because uh, he, he died in 1971, I think. Oh. 1970, something like that. Uh, but he worked so much that he actually had six movies released posthumously. He's in the cage of his time, baby. Six movies. Yeah. It's insane. Well, I, you know, like after Nick Cage or, uh, you know, one of these guys. Bruce Willis. Bruce, well, poor Bruce Willis. <laughs> I um, know, I know. I'm not, I'm just, it's just that he's just working all the time. What I'm saying is I think, let's use Nick Cage since, because he's healthy. Yeah. So I think what's Nick Cage Passes in 40, 50 years. There's going to be about 80 films 
Oh, yeah. That'll yeah. be released posthumously. Yeah. It was like, wow, he looks so young in this. <laughs> it's because he filmed it in 2021. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this was Boris Karloff's final involvement in a production connected to the Frankenstein mythos that had propelled him to stardom some three decades later. Good way to end out. Yeah, totally. Uh, they cast Phyllis Diller as the monster's mate. <laughs> hey, Fang. <laughs> My God, oh, that laugh. She, I adore <laughs> her, baby. She's another one of those people that just floated through the 70s being awesome. Didn't give an F. Yeah. Funny as, yeah. you know, she, her whole thing was about how she's ugly and about, oh, you know, she plastic surgery. It. Yeah. She was not ugly, by the way. She no, was a very she was pretty not. woman. But she just had this personality that was so captivating and fun and she just... was the biggest person in the room all oh the my time God. no wonder she became a big gay icon because i oh. mean it's like she was just you know if you look at a lot of drag oh yeah shows yeah. today a lot of it they owe it oh yeah yeah to her i mean she, she the colorful clothes like all the, the brash personality yeah. the singing the dancing Talking about Fang, her husband Fang. Diller was a big get for Rankin Bass because big names weren't usually used in animation at this point. Like, I think it's part of the reason why in their first movie, in Willie McBean, no, sorry, for the Daydreamer, not Willie mm-hmm. McBean, for the Daydreamer, like those, like Tulula Bankhead and Patty Duke and all that, because they didn't think they could use them to promote these, right. like, animated movies, you know? I mean, big stars didn't do this stuff. You wouldn't, I mean, that seems ridiculous today. You I, yeah, can't make an animated movie. Oh. I Without. don't like the where it's gone and that it's you have to have a big name to make a movie. No, I mean, because there's guys that are just, I guess, Fred Tascatore? Is that how you say his name? Yeah, yeah. I'm really bad with names. I guess he's like the closest thing we have to like Mel Blanc or, yeah. you know, one of these guys. But it's just these, there used to be these voiceover guys that yeah. were just masters and that was their gig. And there was a separation. Yeah. Where they, their talent was there in that. And then, you know, once they realized, well, if we get uh, Sylvester well, Stallone to play the the wily, you know, rat. Yeah, yeah. Then we'll, we'll be able to sell it. Yeah. Just got another another movie from The Rock. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, every single, every animated movie has The Rock and Kevin uh, Hart. Kevin Hart. We, like, yeah. really? Do we need? Do, do, do they bring anything special to this? Does anybody else get to make movies besides The Rock and Kevin Hart? I no. Mean, no. It, it just it's seems actually, like 90% of the movies are just, like, grabbed by them, and then whatever's left is on Netflix with they, the other people. They made a deal with Hollywood, literally Big H Hollywood, that they have to appear in 90% of the movies yeah. contractually. Yeah. They're fine. I like them. I, <laughs> I like know. Them they're all. fine. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's just oversaturation. Yeah. I'm uh, Honestly, I I... I think The Rock is a very personable, nice person. Oh, he's he seems like a hell. great guy. Yeah. He's so charitable and awesome. But I think he needs to take a year off. Yeah. I think Kevin Hart needs to take a year off because I think they could use the rest <laughs> and relax. Kevin Hart, I don't understand how he has so many hours in the day to do as many projects as he does. No idea. He's got to like, talk shows and game shows and this show he's, and that show and he, this movie yeah. and that movie and stand-up tours and whatever. He's an incredible work ethic. Working 100% of his time. And I... I, I I uh, I admire him. More greatly, power to him. Yeah, but he needs to take a year off. We yeah. need we need some time away. I mean, some actors realize that. You yeah, a they do. Yeah. And it's not their fault. You do a lot of projects. A lot of stuff gets released at yeah, the same time, yeah. and it's like you can't get away from it. They don't want it either. Right. But right. There's some of these guys that just think if they stop, they're going to die. Yeah. And they just have to work all the time. <laughs> uh, Diller was one of the first female comics to become a household name in the U.S., credited as an influence by Joan Rivers, Roseanne Barr, and Ellen DeGeneres, among others. Yeah. 
She had a large gay following and is considered a, a huge gay icon. Uh, she was one of the first celebrities to openly champion plastic surgery, for which she was recognized by the cosmetic surgery industry. <laughs> yeah. Diller's gag file, a steel cabinet with 48 file drawers with more than 50,000 jokes she had written on index cards during her career, is now sitting at the National Museum of American History. As it should. Which I actually saw the last time I was in D.C. Oh, nice. Yeah. Did you see the cards? No, it was just the cabinet. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I mistakenly went to the National Museum of American History thinking I was going to the Science Museum and ended up at the American History Museum by accident, but it was fantastic. Nice. Happy accidents. Yes. They had a whole video game thing. It was cool. Anyway. I like to go. Um, it was fun. Uh, in her stand-up comedy routine, Phyllis Diller referred to her husband as Fang. She decided to use the name when referring to the Frankenstein monster whom her character is married to in the film because that was what she was used to. The producers decided to allow it since the name of Frankenstein was copyrighted and referring to the name or his monster would have required paying royalty fees. And it just adds to her presence it's because a, it gives the personability yeah. yeah it gives people the connection that they need to be like oh yeah i remember yeah she's awesome. oh yeah yeah uh, totally. that's what fang looks like oh my god like, <laughs> uh alan swift as felix flanken <laughs> swift also provided the voice of primary characters count dracula frankenstein's monster fang Arr. the werewolf <laughs> the hunchback of notre dame <laughs> The Invisible Man. Oh, I see what you're doing here. Oh, I'm going to get you. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Hello, I'm Dr. Jekyll. And it. In addition to supporting characters, Yetch, a skeleton, Chef Mafia Machiavelli, one of my favorite names, Mr. Cronkite, the freighter captain, the first mate, and the mailman. Essentially, Alan Swift played every male character in the film yeah. except for Baron von Frankenstein. He did, and he did a great, great job. It is – I've never heard of Alan Swift before. Neither have I. And the fact that he literally did like 20 characters is insane. And I always love actors acting against themselves. Yes. And – that's not easy because you have to hit the timing on yeah. both sides, especially comedy. You have to embody. Mel Blanc is the master, the ma- absolute master of this. Uh, you know, you you watch one of the Looney Tunes cartoons. You you don't you see Bugs Bunny, you see Daffy Duck, you yeah. see Elmer yeah. Fudd. You don't think of him, right? And it's the same thing with this. Alan Swift did the same thing. Correct. Until we did this show. I had no idea that he yeah. did all the voices. No no clue. Uh, Swift is best known for providing the fiendish voices for the cartoon villains Simon Bar Sinister and Riff Raff on the cartoon Underdog. Nice. He also voiced many of the characters in The Bluffers, the 1960s underwater puppet show Diver Dan, and Gene Deitch's 1961-62 group of Tom and Jerry cartoons. According to Mopar Magazine, he was also the voice of Tech for their series of service training films providing color commentary and dry humor to help keep things digestible and interesting. Hi, I'm Tech. I'm here <laughs> To help you through this by making things very digestible and easy to take. <laughs> Swift supplied most of the character voices for the NBC Howdy Doody show when Buffalo Bob Smith, who himself did the voice of the lead puppet character Howdy Doody, and had many times proclaimed that nobody else could do Howdy, suffered a heart attack. Swift took home some recordings over the weekend, came back on Monday, and supplied Howdy's voice for more than a year. Yeah, look. I can do Howdy Doody. I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure Buffalo Bob Smith was a little full of himself. Well, I mean, you want to think that nobody could do it, and then it probably was a little heartbreaking to yeah. hear him do it perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Hey there, Buffalo Bob. <laughs> what are we doing today? <laughs> Gail Garnett played Francesca, 
Uh, Garnett is most well known for her folk hit "We'll Sing in the Sunshine," which we'll sing in the sunshine. Won a 1965 Grammy for best folk recording, sold over one million copies, thus gaining gold disc status. Nice. Uh, she'd had she'd done guest spots on shows like "77 Sunset Strip," "The Real McCoys," and "Have Gun Will Travel." After Mad Monster Party, Garnett went more psychedelic with her music. She retired from music in the 80s, but went on to continue acting, as well as branched out into journalism, writing essays, columns, and book reviews for various newspapers and magazines. And she uncannily sounds exactly like... Kathleen Turner. Yes! And it's just so... You so, cannot not hear Kathleen Turner. No. It is amazing. She's got a really sexy voice. Um, she is kind of very particular figure... <laughs> Well, in the <laughs> yes, the, ma- the well, the yes, the the, the, the Francesca has a very Francesca. Particular- it makes sense, yeah. If you you know the reveal at the end that yeah, we all saw yeah, coming, yeah. it makes sense that she looks like that. A sure. lot of this, there's a lot of subversive humor in this. Oh yeah, and ideas that are kind of hidden in it that is very Mad Magazine. Yes, like yes, you know they designed her that way on purpose. Of course, of course. Uh, she, uh, Gail Garnett, is the only cast member still alive. Oh, let's go see her. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I think she's in her 80s. She was super young when she did this. She was like in her early 20s. I would love to meet her. Let's get her on the show. All right. I'll, I'll give her a call. Uh, Ethel Ennis as the title song singer. Ennis is an American jazz musician whose career spanned seven decades. She spent the majority of her life in her hometown of Baltimore, Maryland, where she was affectionately known as the First Lady of Jazz. Mad Monster Party. That's such a good song. Eek! Eek. Ooh, <laughs> creep! In 1963, she recorded four LPs for RCA Victor. However, disenchanted with the creative direction of the label and artist management, Ennis left that label and took a hiatus. Eight years would pass before she received another recording contract. Damn. During this period, she sang the title song for the 1967 feature film Mad Monster Party, which is so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, All the music in it is just, if you oh, love jazzy, oh, yeah. surfy, yeah. Kind of trippy, funk, mod, funky, kind of like, 60s yeah. music. Oh, oh so good. Good soundtrack. Soundtrack sold well. Yeah. In 1973, later that year, Ennis, a Democrat, was invited to sing at the re-inauguration of Richard Nixon. Odd. Her unusual a cappella rendition of the national anthem shocked some, but inspired many others. Yeah, it was, uh... I... It was really uh, a swing and a miss. No, she later appeared on the panel game show to tell the truth, and after she stood up as the real Ethel Ennis reprised her a cappella rendition of the national anthem for the panelists and audience receiving a standing ovation. <laughs> she was not a fan of Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah, who was? Even Richard Nixon wasn't a fan of Richard Nixon. <laughs> Maury Laws composed the music. In 1964, he was hired as music director for Videocraft International, a post which he held for roughly 20 years. Nice. In this capacity, he conducted and scored music for a number of animated features, including... The Hobbit, Jack Frost, The Fight of the Dragons, The Daydreamer, The Wacky World of Mother Goose, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and Frosty the Snowman. Yeah, his, Happy music, birthday. his music was fantastic. I is my one of my favorite things about Mad Monster Party. Yeah, it's was so the good. It was so good because it's trippy and moddy, and it's like partially surfy, and it's just jazzy, and it's so good. It adds to the. It is just a kitschy, fun, <laughs> weird movie. You know the way that I know. Okay, let's just talk about the voices for one second sure. before we move. I think 
the attempted voices are better than the actual good voices because it balances it out. It doesn't sound like he's just doing a bunch of a bunch of impersonations. Right, right. I I I heard Jimmy Stewart. I mean, I I it wasn't perfect, but I yeah. I could always hear Jimmy Stewart right underneath the 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 voice. There was a hint. There was a little um, smidge, Jimmy. He did uh with Charles Lawton as the freighter captain was fantastic. He was good, yeah. And his Peter Laurie was as Yetch oh, yes. was yes. so dead on. Yetch. Oh. Oh, she's, you're so pretty. I just want to touch you. He was the first, like, incel stalker, too. Oh, he was so creepy. Yetch was like, but Yetch, again, Yetch was manipulated because he wasn't a bad ghoul. He was like, he was a creep. (laughs) But he, just like every stalker creep, when uh, when she was like, "You're a creep," he's like, "Oh, she she wants me to creep after her." Yeah, yeah. Oh, I will creep. I will creep for her, and then sings the song. But you know, at the end, he's like, "Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to hurt them." Or blah blah blah. And then they're like, "Well, well, they're trying to take her from you. You deserve her. She's she was right. made for you yet. Why don't you?" And so they basically convinced him to kidnap they, her. They were manipulating him. Yeah, sure. poor yet. She doesn't know. I mean, a crush on her. Like, I get it. I mean, yeah. she was a he was friend zone. pretty lady. The only lady pretty, uh, that or, or <laughs> Phyllis. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but yes, it was a but spot I, on. I love that Yetch, uh, Peter Laurie, had literally a moon face. If oh, they do close-ups, yeah. he actually had craters on yeah. his face. Well, uh, he had a weird head, too. He had a weird head, yeah. What's so funny, we were talking head. about this. It wasn't really that weird. But he was an odd-looking gentleman. <laughs> he was. And he, he, was. He, he, was, he was used so much in, like, Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah. He was used so much in Looney Tunes cartoons and animation and stuff because he was such a character. You know, yeah, he was just yeah. this weirdo. And the funny thing is, we were talking about it because I think because of Mad Monster Party and maybe some of the Looney Tunes stuff. I, I assumed that he had played, you know, he had played, uh, yeah, like an uh, Igor type Igor. character. He yeah. had played in some sort of Frankenstein movie, but no, he never did. No, no, he never did. And I bet you a lot of people, like, you know, uh, Mandela effect, uh, one of our favorite things to talk about. I think a lot of people, yeah. Think if you, did, you said yeah. Peter Laurie, did he play Igor? They'd be like, 100%. That's who he's known for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Dyke and the Blazers perform the song The Mummy as Little Tibia and the Fibias, the skeleton band. It's the mummy. <laughs> I, it's the it's mummy. my favorite song in the movie. <laughs> so great. And the long-haired skeleton playing. It's so weird. Uh, Dyke and the Blazers was formed by Arlister Dyke Christian in 1965. They recorded until 1971 when Arlister was shot and killed during a botched drug deal at the age of 27. Odd name. Dyke uh, Christian just seems like a really bad porn name. Well, the funny thing is that his well, Arlister, I think, is a weird name. Arlister is. And weird. then even stranger is that one of his other band members was named Avester. Avester? A-V-E-S-T-E-R. Literally just like Arlister. But with a V instead of the R. Yeah, I don't. Did they change their name? I don't know. I don't know, but it weirds me out. What weirds me out is that he got killed in that drug deal and he wasn't on any drugs. No, he wasn't he, buying the he, drugs or he had no. Although the cops, uh, there was a t- detective in Phoenix that was like, oh, man, he had more track arm tracks on his arms than, than there are on the railroad. Like he was, yeah. Well, that's probably what they said to justify. But of course, who knows? I mean, he could have just been. There's, you know, it reminds me of that scene in Boogie Nights, you know, where they go to get the drugs or yeah. rip off. It's uh, uh, Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's just like, it just, that is one of the most, 
uncomfortable so, friggin' scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. That weird little kid just popping off the fireworks. And, you know, everybody's just completely cranked out. It is so uncomfortable. It's one of my favorite scenes. It's, it's probably my favorite P.T. Anderson scene. Oh, yeah. Just because yeah. it is, it goes on way too long, <laughs> but in a great way. Yeah. And it is just the, 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 the acting in it all around yeah. is yeah. just so superb. And Alfred Molina is just masterful in it. But it's just like, that's what I kind of, as soon as you mentioned that, I was like, yeah, that's where yeah. my mind went. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got uh, shot by a guy wearing briefs and a robe. <laughs> Probably. There is some dispute about whether the Skeleton Bat actually is Dyke and the Blazers, as the only record of it is on the current DVD release liner notes, and the song The Mummy sounds nothing like the rest of their music. Yeah, it's so mystery. it's a little weird, but, you know. It's a mummy. I have to call up Rick Goldschmidt <laughs> and yeah. see what the deal is. You got to do some uh, investigation. Uh, Frank Frazetta actually drew the theatrical poster for Mad Monster Party. Uh, Frazetta is a noted artist for comic books, paperback, book covers, paintings, posters, LP record, album covers, and other media. He's often referred to as the godfather of fantasy art and one of the most renowned illustrators of the 20th century. Frazetta was inducted into the comic book industry's Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame, the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame, the Society of Illustrators Hall of Fame, the Science Fiction Hall of Fame, and was awarded a Life Achievement Award from the World Fantasy Convention. Amazing. People should know Frank Frazetta's name. Yes. And if you don't look him up, look Uh, at his stuff. Most of the stuff that you see today is 100% like from him. You know, that guy is is such an influence. Heavily influenced, influenced, yeah. Yeah, because he was like nobody else. And there's a. So good, man. His paintings, his drawings. Yeah. If, if Just look up, go and look up Frank Frazetta, and the first thing that will pop up is his a self-portrait of oh, him. Oh, yeah. And it is so good. Yeah. It is so good. Yeah. He was like the the comic version of Norman Rockwell. He just yes. had like this. Uh, oh, my God. His fantasy stuff is so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He drew a lot for the comic magazine Heavy Metal. Yeah. Um, he's, he was just incredible. For Check him out. If you're a fan of comics, if you're a fan yeah. of uh Art. Art. <laughs> Check our buddy Frank Frazetta out. Yeah. The movie received generally favorable reviews. Howard Thompson of the New York Times wrote that... This body should make everybody chuckle. <laughs> I don't know how much money the movie made. There's no record of that. Um, but it was their last feature. They focused on just TV specials after that. Look, this movie... Well, so let me take oh, it back. Sorry. It is their last Animagic feature because they did stuff like The Hobbit and things later. Oh, yeah. Like traditional that, animation. Yeah. And that was a whole style into itself. If you watch the, the Rankin and Bass Hobbit movie... Yeah. Did they do the Lord of the Rings movie? That, no. That wasn't them. No. Because that, was re- that was a lot of rotoscoping. Yeah. Different. Yeah. They, they, it was a similar... They kind of robbed yeah. the look yeah. of that a bit. But The Hobbit... When I think of The Hobbit... I think of the Rankin and Bass right, right. animated movie. I mean, I saw that so much as a kid. When you're in school and it's a rainy day, yeah, they put on The Hobbit. You know, it's like it was just present all the time. Yeah, yeah. It was it fantastic. Is, it's so good. It's an amazing adaptation. I, I did for a, uh, a, an assignment, we had to do one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. Oh, nice. And mine was basically The Hobbit. And I... 100% ape that art style <laughs> for my drawings. I nice. completely copied the Rankin and Bass. Rankin and Bass produced a related TV special called Mad, Mad, Mad Monsters from yep. the ABC Saturday Superstar movie series, which aired on September 23rd, 1972. There. Okay. <laughs> kids had it so great. We had it so great as kids. We own Saturday mornings. And that the fact that we had our own Saturday morning cartoon movies, yeah, which yeah. would be Scooby-Doo's, it was like there were so many great 
weird. We we talked about it mm-hmm. on our. You go back and listen to our Saturday morning cartoon show because we talk about a lot of these movies. There was almost a sense of treating children like adults, giving a, giving us our own mini child version of what the adults had, and that's kind of what we wanted back yeah. then. And and we got it. And we got it on Saturday mornings, baby. Yeah. And that's... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Mad, Mad, Mad Monsters featured many of the same monster characters. Bob McFadden did his imitation of Karloff when voicing Baron Henry von Frankenstein, who resembles Baron Boris von Frankenstein. Hank Frankenstein. Um, I think it was one of his his brothers, I guess. That's me, Hank. I go by Henry Hank Frankenstein. Uh, You you need a a new boat? I'm going to sell you a boat. Hank Frank. It is, it is really interesting that it does have a lot of the same monster characters since at the end of Mad Monster Party, they all died? Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert for a 60-year-old movie. But yeah, the ending of Mad Monster <laughs> just Party comes out of nowhere. is awesome. So the whole point. Okay, I'm going to give you a little Mad Monster Party recap. Just a quickie. Yeah. So the whole point of Mad Monster Party is Dr. Frankenstein is working on something New in his laboratory, his laboratory, yeah, yeah, and he comes up with this goo that can destroy matter, yeah. any matter. Well, he he cre- he created the creation gene or yeah. whatever or molecules. Yes. So now he got to do the destruction, yeah, the destruction gene. So yeah, full circle. So he's like, <laughs> I think I'm going to retire now, yeah. and he has this big old party to announce his heir, right. and his heir is this weird <laughs> nephew of his. Felix. Felix, yeah. And Felix is uh, he, he Felix is a uh, pharmacist. He has a lot of allergies. He wears glasses. He's mine without his glasses. He's just a little nebbishy guy. <laughs> and so many allergies. <laughs> so, you know, we get all of our monsters. They all get on a boat. They all go to the island. They have these parties. There's all this stuff. And they're... Uh, <laughs> they all get so drunk. They all get so drunk and pass out and have these weird things. And then they uh, plot... Against Felix, yeah, someone someone overhears the plot, the 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 secret, right? Of who's going to be the? Yeah. So Francesca yeah. and Drac decide to plot. So everybody's plotting, everybody's fighting, everybody black, everybody black, and because they all want to be the head of the monsters, and yeah. they all want the power of destruction. This it's, it's powerful, yeah. So <laughs> all this stuff goes on. I don't want to spoil it for you because you got to watch it. But we get to the end, and the entire island. And everybody, except for Francesca and Felix, disappear- gets destroyed to the point where there's yeah. nothing. They're disintegrated to nothing. It is it is, it's utter and total destruction. And then we get the revelation that Francesca was a robot. Because she was, she was Frankenstein's masterpiece. Yes. Yeah. But, but not made of human parts. Yeah. Made of robot She's parts. She's got coils and springs. And then, and then, strange... Just weirdly, she tearfully confesses this to Felix because she loves him so much. Yeah. And so Felix's response is, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Oh, so he's a friggin' robot, too? Yeah. It's so weird. But that's what I love about it. It's just so weird. And it's a, it's a great, that line is a great throwback to some, some Like It Hot. Yeah. Uh, the end of that. Where... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jack Lemon, I think it was Lemon, reveals that he's a man. Yes. And, and then <laughs> his nobody's... suit was like, nobody's perfect. <laughs> yes. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And the look on his face. Oh. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is so weird. I did not do it justice, but it is just so weird. And it's another thing. It could only have been made at that time. I yes, it is. 
such a weird movie. As soon as it ended, I just turned to Jim and was like, that's just so friggin' weird. And again, like Bugsy Malone, it's a musical. I did not remember that it was a musical. Phyllis Diller sings. <laughs> she sings for a while. That goes on for a long time. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of most of the songs in the movie. Uh, the, the Karloff one's pretty good. Yeah. I do like the Mummy song because it's, it's a fun, like, surf tune. It's the Mummy. Yeah. And uh, Francesca's song was great. I mean, yeah. she's got a really good voice. Yeah. Uh, they were all kind of weird, jazzy tunes. It's also those kind of songs that don't really rhyme or have any sort of real yeah. Yeah. melodic uh, consistency. No. It's just kind of like people saying stuff That's to Car- music. Karloff doesn't actually sing. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Everyone come down here to the Mad Monster Party. It's, yeah, it, it's... Uh... It's it's but it doesn't matter. It's so good. Oh and my god. Animation is so good. Yes. So much emotion in these animagic characters. Like it is it's just so fun to watch. And the sets. The sets it's are such so detailed. Yeah. So much minute detail. Yeah. In the beginning when when uh when Dr. Frankenstein is making his beaker full of stuff it's first red then it's gold then it's blue and the reflection of the color yeah. hits his jacket in a way it's just so impeccably so done yeah it's a little slow it's no, not it's for everybody slow. yeah you know it's a little bit slow but it's also really funny and really fun to watch and and if you're a fan of puppets or stop motion monsters monsters yeah any of that stuff you're gonna love this movie if you have kids yeah yeah yeah, I mean it's fine. Show it's it to just, them. I mean they may not. They may not, they may lose interest. But, yeah, uh, but you know, but it's fun. Yes, you know, and it's 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 another one of these films for me that you know when my sister and I were younger, it was one that when it came on, no matter where it was, we'd watch it yeah, because yeah. we just grew up loving that. And I loved, 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 loved the Universal Monsters. I loved Abbott Costello. Abbott Costello meets Frankenstein yeah, is one of my top yeah. ten probably films ever. Comedies, a hundred percent. Yeah. And to see this, to get them all together at a party and with such great yeah. personalities. Oh, and yeah. such distinct, you know, petty arguments. And they have like little, <laughs> you know, they have feuds within each other that when, go on for the, years. The creature keeps barfing water onto, I think it was onto Dracula. <laughs> no, no, it was no, onto. It was on, uh, oh, no, it was on the, the Dr. Jekyll. Dr. Jekyll. I think it's raining. <laughs> it's raining. And it, here's one thing that really bugged me. So Dr. Jekyll has this awesome... <laughs> Cane that apparently was a uh, umbrella too. Didn't know that. Didn't look like yeah, an umbrella. Yeah. That he would pop a little little shot glass off of and pour his elixir to turn him into high monster juice. Yeah. But every time he would never put the cap back on the cane. And he would drop the cane and he would drop the cap and he would never pick it up. And he would no. just go do the monster stuff. Mister Hyde's not going to do that. How did he get it back? It. He always he would always uh, because when he turned back to Doctor Jekyll, the, the last thing Doctor Jekyll remembered was exactly where he was, where he right. dropped it, so he'd go find it. He had an uh, Apple Air tag on it, and he would just. <laughs> I just love that. Apparently, it holds like fifty gallons of this monster yeah. juice. Yes, yes, because <laughs> yeah. he converts like eight times during the movie. You know, and also uh, there's like four characters that don't really have any lines. Like yeah. Uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame doesn't no, really talk. He grunts. The creature doesn't talk. No, he doesn't even make noise at all. There's some. Or does he? Oh, yeah. yeah there's yeah, like bubbly noises. And he barfs up a lot of water. I don't think the mummy talks at all. Mummy doesn't talk. It doesn't talk. 
And so, I technically, Mr. Oh, no, Mr. Hyde does have a couple lines. Like, he, he red, forms, red, 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 forms yeah. things a couple times. Hyde! Hyde! Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the weirdest thing. So, <laughs> so Felix sees Jekyll turn into Hyde. And he's like, oh, you have some sort of condition. <laughs> and he's like, Hyde! Hyde! He's like, you want to play Hyde and seek? Okay, I'll go Hyde. <laughs> Like, who a grown man he plays hide and seek? Hides in a boat for like eight hours. Oh, it's midnight. I better go see what's going on. Yeah. If he doesn't find me soon, and then he <laughs> immediately gets out of the boat. Yeah. It's like, come on, Felix. Yes. Oh, God, this movie yeah. is so It's fun. a great movie. It is. There's so many little touches that are so good. It is so much fun. I. It's another movie from this month that yeah. influenced me that I didn't even realize. Exactly, yeah. I wrote a play that was about Universal Monsters mm-hmm. that's... Very similar. Well, I shouldn't say very similar, but similar to this. It's got all the monsties, yeah. and it's got a. It's it's got a lot of dad jokes. And, <laughs> I mean, good dad jokes. You yeah, know, I'm not, thank it's you. not thank a you. dig, but it's you know it's got that kind of silly sense of humor. Yeah. that I love and that you love, which is which is ironic because I'd never seen this until yeah. this week. Yeah, it's just it's got a lot of charm, and it's a really impressive feat if you yeah. look at the scope of the sets. And this, like, just the last shot of the boat in the middle of the ocean with the two of them talking, it's epic. It's, it was done so well and with so much love and care. And you could tell that everybody in it really enjoyed making it and really enjoyed doing the voices. It it really is interesting because in 1967, it was was the height of of the popularity of the monster stuff. I think the monster stuff was starting to fall apart. Yeah. And they they made fun of it just in time because in 1968 is when uh, Night of Living Dead came out. Yeah. Like there are zombies in Mad Monster Party, yeah. But like they're they're the zombies from like Lair of the White Worm and like, yeah, like all the, the stuff the from like the Haitian 30s. voodoo zombies. Haitian they voodoo have like zombies. the you know nose rings and they're all green and yeah. Like, yeah. But they look like zombies and they fall apart and, and they call them zombies. Yeah. yeah. And I guess technically Yesh Yetch yes. is a zombie. Yeah, because his head falls off a couple times. Oh my head! Where's my head? And then that ass. The was it the Invisible Man? Yeah. That, Put a pig's head on his head instead. Oh, so mean. <laughs> I love the Invisible Man is my favorite. Uh, oh, he's great. Universal monster. Uh, a oh, lot of it too. is because of the original movie. The original movie is so eminently rewatchable. And it's also, except for maybe the exception of Dracula, it's the only monster you'd really want to be. Yeah, because yeah. you know nobody wants to be the monster from Frankenstein. No, nobody really no. wants to be the creature from the Black Lagoon. No, nobody no. wants to be the mummy just shuffling around in oh, bandages, get thrown overboard. <laughs> Yeah. You're, you're turning into cat, dust. Yeah. But hey, everybody wants to be invisible, and everybody'd like to turn into a bat. So I did, I did like the joke when they finally they threw like pie at him. Another movie with pie throwing. Another pie. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities. There's <laughs> pies. There's singing. Yeah, you know it, it. Yeah, there's a reason why these three movies fit well together. Of course, because they're all they're there's nothing like each other really. No, no. But they're all three so uniquely different than anything that you've ever seen. Totally. That uh, Murder by Death was unique before all the stuff that you've seen. So it's like something that was very unique at the time, but now, you know, it seems like, oh, it's been done done this time. But it hadn't been. So all three of these movies are groundbreaking cult hits that are sometimes defy explanation, (laughs) sometimes (laughs) defy... The laws of physics. I don't know. It's just, they're just fun, weird. If you're a cinephile, yeah. if you like weird stuff, if you're somebody who likes to watch 
obscure cinema. This is right up your alley. Oh yeah, totally. These movies totally. are so much fun. Get your get your library card. Yes. Because this is where you're going to find these movies. Yeah, it is not available on streaming. Uh, n- none of these I, no. this month are available on streaming. No, they're hard to find, but they're worth it. You know, you could probably order them on DVD and get yes. them really cheap. Yes. You know, it's worth a ticket price. You yeah, know, I, I'm kind of sad I didn't buy Mad Monster Party yeah. because I I I would rewatch it. I, I probably it's going to become will. a Halloween thing. I yeah. I probably it's so much fun. It. It, it's really good when we have our next Halloween party. Just throw it on in the background mm-hmm. and just people find themselves sitting down and watching it. One hundred percent. I guarantee you, if you throw that on, yeah. it's going to distract because people are going to be like, <laughs> good. What's this? Good because it's What's something this? that everyone should know about. Yeah. So go get your card. Get these movies. Get some yes. pals. Get some drinks. Have a night of it. They're all pretty manageable. It's a yeah. good threefer. None of them yeah. is, are, are too long. None of them outstay their welcome. No. And no. you're really going to have a fun time yeah. watching these weirdo movies. <laughs> All right. We'll be back next week. Uh, we're starting a new month. Yeah. Uh, three crazy Cusacks, baby. Yeah. It's our John Cusack month. Yeah. We're going to go back in time. We're going to go back in time. Wait, we're doing Back to the Future? No. No. We're going to do One Crazy Summer. We're going to do Tape Heads. Oh, one of my yeah. favorites. And Better Off Dead. We're going back to the Cusack Prime, uh, baby. Back when he was doing those crazy, wacky comedies. And, so excited for Better Off Dead. Oh, yeah. He, there was nobody better when, no, he, when no. he was younger. Uh, I'm so excited about the Cusack month. I love him to death. Better Off Dead was one of those movies that was on constantly mm-hmm. that I, I've probably seen a thousand times. Oh, same. I, yeah. Same. Same with that and uh, One Crazy Summer. Both yeah. of those, because they're so very similar. I think they're by the same. I think, I think I mean, so. They're both Steve, Savage Steve Holmes. We'll find out we next sure month. sure will. We don't know any spoilers. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back with some new stuff. And come on back. Welcome to the Dinek. Ugh. Welcome to the new show. <clears throat> Sorry. Usually on the new newly TV new sorry. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Silver Spoons. Already in progress.